You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Hey, Sonny. Yeah. She dropped, she dropped, she dropped, she dropped, dropped me the bomb. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm kind of hungry for a little Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> we ain't got no Fruity Pebbles, but we definitely got kicks. Tastes like cardboard. <laughs> Plenty of kicks today. Yeah, they're, they're not my favorite cereal either. I like a little bit of sweet in there, but I'll tell you what, I damn sure love the band. Yeah, me too. I, there's a like I'm not too into the first two albums, but after Midnight Dynamite, I'm in a hundred percent. You mean including Midnight Dynamite, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. including Midnight Dynamite. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Me and you are going to have to have an all-out brawl right now. <laughs> was... We might have one because that's not my favorite album. Oh, that's okay. That's yeah. all right. I don't mind that. It's, it's just if if you're going to uh, be like, yeah, I don't like Midnight Dynamite, then it was a throwdown. <laughs> no, no, no. We're not we're not getting stupid today. No. Right. Not today. Fair enough. So we got this uh this interview, this very short interview coming up with Steve Whiteman from Kicks. He spent about twenty minutes talking to us about the thirtieth anniversary of Blow My Fuse. So they're doing uh Blow My Fuse reissue. Of course, it's got a great title like Fuse 30 Reblown. And, and you know, who doesn't like getting reblown? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so we talk about several things, some of the earlier days with the band, some of his early influences. We talk a little bit about his teaching. So he teaches at a music school and, of course, one of his bigger students or well-known students was Lizzie Hale, uh, which, you know, he gives all the credit to her, but I've actually heard her go on record as saying, you know, he helped her out quite a bit early on, but of course you got to have natural talent to begin with. So, yeah, it's cool that, uh, he's helping teach the future generation. I think that is uber cool. Um, you know, there's more and more schools, you don't know this because you don't have kids, but there's more and more schools that aren't doing band programs anymore. And even the ones that my kids did, uh, the band teacher taught at several high schools. So uh, there's not like a band teacher to a school like in the old days. Him being available at no matter what level you might be in your professional career, being able to go to him and say, hey, I'm trying to learn this. Can you help me? And him being able to help that. That's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. And his daughter teaches there too, which I think is also very cool because, you know, it's kind of a opportunity for them to maybe get to spend some time when uh, probably he hadn't had that opportunity a lot when he spent a lot of time on the road. So that's always good. And, you know, I've seen a couple videos with her. She's very talented as well. 
Oh, that's cool. Does she have a band too, or we don't know that? I don't know whether she has a band or not. There's a couple videos out there where she's singing just with an acoustic guitar player at the school. Looks like they're performing at the Maryland Institute, I think is the name of it. And, you know, Brian Forsyth and uh, Jimmy Chaflant. I think it's Chalfant. Chalfant. So Jimmy Chalfant also teaches drums there. And she teaches piano and vocals. And, of course, he teaches several instruments there. So very cool. Yeah, that's cool. Let's, uh, we're doing the interview first, right? Yeah, we're going to go ahead and roll the interview. And then you and I will come back and we'll share our top five kick songs at this minute. <laughs> we always have to throw that disclaimer in there at this minute because there's a lot of kick songs. I love a lot of kick songs. I even like some off the first couple records, which I know you said you weren't as big of a fan of. Uh, but there's a few songs on there that I like uh, as well. And I could have thrown a dart and hit several songs that I would have uh, been happy with playing. But these are the five songs I chose for myself. Cool. So let's get to the interview. All right. Enjoy this interview with Steve Whiteman from Kicks. We'll be back afterwards to play our top five Kicks tunes at this minute. I'm Steve Whiteman from Kick, and you are rocking out with Growing Up Rock Podcast with Steve and Sonny. Crank it up! I was asked to do it against my will, but I did it anyway. All right. Well, that's all we can ask. You know, we hate to we hate to <laughs> twist your arm, but. But God damn it, we love you, Steve. <laughs> I love love. <laughs> we love love, too. So let's get into this conversation because I got a lot of stuff I want to try and cover in a short amount of time. So I don't think people really necessarily realize really how versed of a musician you are. And I want to talk a little bit about that because... I've loved your singing since the early days of Kicks, and I've been into the band. You're a great showman. You're a great singer. You're, you're a pretty good musician. You do all these other things. Are you an accomplished saxophone player as well? I wouldn't call me an accomplished saxophone player. I took a lesson so I, could, I knew where to put my fingers, and then I just picked it up from there. I've always been one of those kind of guys that can just pick up an instrument and just play it by ear. I've never really had lessons other than some vocal training that the, the record company forced me to do before the Blow My Fuse tour. But other than that, I've always just had a knack for picking up drumsticks and playing. Friends show me a couple chords on a guitar and, I'm, and I just take off with it. I'm the kind of guy that doesn't stop until I know how to do it. You've played sax on a Kicks album or two, correct? Yeah. 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 Now, it's not that I could pick up a sax and play to anybody's song anybody else's song i literally had to write those solos you know and just play them the same all the time if somebody said play something different i go no yeah. <laughs> that's all i know and music is a big part of your life and so were your parents musicians as well nah my dad was a drunk <laughs> okay fair enough <laughs> you know what though but they were supportive they saw the passion and they saw the love that i had for for music because i i started out on the drums and i drove my entire neighborhood crazy but they all respected because I was like eight, nine years old and I was playing like an adult. 
So they knew that I had some talent, so they were always very supportive. And uh, just having that support behind me, just, you know, they've never pressured me to get a real job or, you know, with the same shit you hear or, or cut your hair and look better. They, they weren't those kind of parents. They were very supportive. Right. And you must've been a pretty decent drummer because I think you were in like a Zeppelin uh, tribute band at one point in time early on, right? Not really a Zeppelin tribute band, but we played a lot of Zeppelin. So I, I did the drums and vocals. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Good enough. Good on you. <laughs> and now this, uh, this whole music biz has kind of carried over to the family because you teach at a music institute, and I don't know whether you own the music institute or somebody else owns it, but yourself and your daughter both teach there as well as a couple of guys from Kicks. Yeah, I started teaching about 25 years ago when Kicks went on hiatus. We stopped playing in 95, and I needed to do something because I never made any money in Kicks. Yeah. So I had to, I thought, well, what can I do that I can support my family? And the only thing I know how to do is sing and play music. So I thought, teach. So I started teaching guitar and bass, harmonica, and vocals, and I did that for like three or four days a week until I started my second band, Funny Money, which I started that in like in '96, and we played we played together for up until about three years ago. So I started teaching in the Harrisburg, Baltimore area first, and the Baltimore area school was just getting on my nerves for the drive. From it was like an hour and a half drive, and sometimes three hours depending on traffic. So when a friend of mine opened up a school in Hagerstown and offered me a position, I'm like, hell yes. So, yeah, it's, it's the Maryland Institute of Music in, in Hagerstown, Maryland, where my daughter teaches, and she does great. She has a lot of students there. Jimmy Chalfont, our drummer, mm -hmm. teaches there. Brian Forsyth, when he's in the area, like this week, I think he's teaching there because we just did a local show in Baltimore. So he's got three or four members of Kicks teaching there periodically. Yeah, that's that's pretty dang cool. I mean, that's uh, awesome for you to be able to share that with your daughter and uh, uh, take part in something like that. And I think most notably, you've had a couple of uh, really uh, huge students. I think people know that you uh, gave vocal lessons at one point in time to Lizzie Hale, which was, you know, she's amazing. How How did that all come about? She just lived in the area or something? She lived in the area, and that's when I was teaching in the, in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area, and her family lived there. And they knew who I was just because we were real big in central PA. So when they heard it was me offering lessons, and, and she was phenomenal. I mean, you know, people give me too much credit for that because Lizzie it was phenomenal. She came to me to find the power in her voice and, and how to train her voice and how to get better with pitch and how to just to maintain and the things that are necessary for somebody who's really got their mind on a serious career. So that's what I did with Lizzie. And she worked with me for probably a little over a year. You know, the results are, are incredible, but believe me, a lot of that is all Lizzie. Yeah, I, I'm sure you have to have some sort of initial talent to even get started in something like that. But she's been vocal and giving you credit as well, which is uh, is nice on her part as well. So. Yeah, yeah, way too nice. I mean, she gives me too much credit, but she, she's an extraordinary talent, and I think she's the best female vocalist out there right now, bar none. In rock and roll, I don't disagree at all. So you mentioned Funny Money, and I'm a big fan of Funny Money. Oh, nice. You kind of answered the question in your statement about Funny Money, which is that kind of went on the side once Kick started back up then, right? Yeah, well, because when I started Funny Money, it was, with the intention of doing all original music 
and music that I was allowed to write in kick, which wasn't very much. So I started in that premise and did, did do a couple of really good covers from bands that I really loved growing up and tried that for about a year. And all the fans that showed up, all they wanted to hear was kicks. And it was like, it was frustrating to us and the guys that I had in the band, but I, I had to relent. I'm like, if I really want to keep this going and I really did need the income. So I thought, let's split it up. Let's do some kicks. Let's do some original stuff and let's do some covers. And it got to the point where we were doing half kicks and half originals. And when kicks started to come back onto the scene, some of the promoters were hiring funny money over kicks because it was a half of a kick show and, and it sounded you know nearly as good. So I thought that I wasn't being fair to the guys in kicks. And I thought it might be time to put funny money down and just go with kicks for a while and see how that works. And the uh, kicks has just gotten busier and busier and busier than we put out a new record. And it's just exploded and we're doing better now than we ever have. You sure have. I was excited once you guys came back and you released that record uh, in 2014. I thought it was fantastic return to form. So I was was excited about that. Any chance of you maybe uh, doing a little bit of funny money on one of these Monsters of Rock cruises when you guys are on there? Nah, there's so much kicks material that, you know, that people would rather hear. You're one of the rare ones that know who Funny Money even is. I mean, Funny Money was... I would give it a, a mildly successful story around here. We would draw just a couple of hundred people. So not, it's not like we were filling up rooms. So when you play with kicks and, and the place is sold out and, and you play with funny money and a little dump where it's, a, it's about half full, you know, it, it is what it is. And it made it hard for me to keep band members in there because they thought coming in to play with me was just going to take them right to the top. That we're just going to get a record deal and get famous. And <laughs> that was never the case because if that was the case, kicks never would have broke up in the first place. Right. You guys do quite a few of these like uh, festivals and monsters of rock cruises and things like that. What's your viewpoint on all these uh, music cruises and things like that? Cause you guys seem to be involved in a few of them. Well, I give our agent a lot of credit for that. Sullivan big out of big time entertainment. I, he's the one that, kind of resurrected our career and it is due to a lot of these festivals and thank god for them because they keep bands from our era our genre of music alive and well and they're the reason i think that bands like us are able to survive there are a lot of them and we're lucky enough to have a good regional following we can play from new york to north carolina and sell out most theaters and, and big clubs so in between the fly dates and the festivals you know that's what we do we play our comfort zone. Awesome. Are you a guy that constantly uh, writes music and, uh, you know, has like 200 melodies in your iPhone or anything like that? Um, I guess I would call it, I would go through spurts and it's mostly in, in the winter time when you're, you're pretty much stuck in the house anyway. So I go down to my little studio and I just bang around on guitar and I've written about 12 or 13 songs in the past couple of years, just, you know, throwing them on a list, uh, ready to, offer them to the band if, if they feel like they sound like kick songs because I never know. I don't write in any one direction. I just write. Mm -hmm. So if it sounds like a kick song, great. Use it. If you don't like them, I understand. <laughs> then it goes in a vault for the Steve Whiteman vault to be released. Yeah, one I mean, day. one day I would like to put out like Steve's demos because I'm, I'm not the kind that's going to re-record everything and, and, and try to make it perfect. Sometimes listening to raw demos is more fun than listening to the polished finished product in, in my way of thinking. Yeah. 
No doubt. No doubt. So uh, Don't Close Your Eyes was a huge success for you. That was a big thing for it kicks. Was? Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell me, describe that song in three words. Biggest hit ever. Okay. I'm curious. I mean, that's that's not what I remember the band for. I'm much more of a rock and roll person. Oh, I, I well, we totally agree. There's a story behind the song, actually. When we put the Blow My Fuse album out, it did initially well because, for some, whatever reason, Cold Blood broke in Kansas. Now, the three previous records that we put out, we always did well in the Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania area. Our records sold like hotcakes, but nowhere else. So when they put out Blow My Fuse and Cold Blood hit really big in Kansas, that got the record company's attention. So that's when the magic button gets pushed. And then we're making good videos and we're on MTV and we're on the top 10 like every day. But we were out on the road with Tesla and Great White. We were the opening act. And we finished our set, come off the stage. And Alan Niven, who was in managing Great White, stopped us after our show and, and asked us, what was that ballad you guys just played? And we told him it was Don't Close Your Eyes. And he, he called the president of Atlantic Records and told him, you're sitting on a hit song. Why don't you get this out? Um, so the next week we're recording the video for Don't Close Your Eyes. And that's what catapulted the record, took it over platinum, got us on a White Snake tour. So that song just, you know, it really, really lifted the whole campaign of that record. It's amazing how little things like that can change, you know, literally the history of a band. I mean, if the guy doesn't happen to be there that night or you guys take that out of the set that night or, you know, just any number of things. It's kind of amazing. So uh, the exciting stuff that's coming is that uh, you guys are doing this re-release of Blow My Fuse, the Fuse 30 Reblown, which is Blow my fuse on steroids, I guess, right? <laughs> well, you know, there were a lot of things about that record that because of the time period that it was recorded, it was full of all kinds of effects, too, too much echo, too much reverb, too much, too much polish. And we thought that if we would go in and remix it and make it sound better, we, we loved the record, but we just felt it, it could have sounded better. And with today's technology, mm-hmm. you know, 30 years later, it's going to sound better. So luckily our friend Bo Hill, who produced Midnight Dynamite, took it and remixed it, and we got it remastered, and it sounds so much better. It's just so incredible, and we thought it would be very cool to include the original demos that we made in our, in our little studio in Pennsylvania before making the record to compare. This is where the demos, this is where the song started, this is how it finished up, and some of the songs sound exactly the same, and some of them are totally different, so it's kind of cool. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I got the opportunity to uh, run through it uh, before I jumped on the call with you so that I could kind of compare. And uh-huh. oftentimes I can't necessarily tell, my ears can't tell the difference in highs and mids and lows and all these little minor things. But as soon as that thing started playing, I instantaneously could tell the difference. I mean, it just sounds so much brighter and just, it sounds awesome. <laughs> My analogy was it's like it's like taking cataracts out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's not bad. That's not came crystal clear. Yeah, absolutely. So when is that officially going to hit the uh, stands? It comes out September twenty first, just a couple of days, and it's kind of exclusive through uh, PledgeMusic.com. I think I think the record label wants to kind of get an exclusive route first of all before they're going to put it all over amazon and and everywhere else so it's it's pledgemusic.com is how you can order it 
Okay, so just go to pledgemusic.com and type in Kicks Blow My Fuse, and I'm sure it'll come up. Yeah, Reblown. Reblown, 30th anniversary. Do you guys have any other special things planned for the 30th anniversary release of Blow My Fuse? Well, we've been playing the entire record live, and uh, we've never done that before. Because it was the biggest record of our lives, we thought it would be very special to give the fans, because, you know, everybody who knows us has that record, and they, they've heard every song on there. So we thought it would be it would be cool to play the whole damn thing top to bottom. So we've been doing that this year, and just to coincide with the release, just to celebrate. It's hard to believe that it's been 30 years, but, you know, to celebrate all this time and if it wasn't for that record, if it wasn't for, for that song, Don't Close Your Eyes, I seriously doubt we would still be out here doing it. Yeah. My co-host and I have tickets for the 2019 Monsters of Rock cruise. So uh, will we get uh, Blow My Fuse in its entirety from you guys on the cruise? Yeah. Like if we go go back to an, a venue that we've already played, we probably won't do it there. But yeah, I, it, it's working really well. It, it's very cool. And, and we love the set. So more than likely you'll hear the whole record awesome all right great i'm gonna wrap this up and be respectful of your time can i ask you to do a fairly quick lightning round with me please (laughs) sure (laughs) all right this is gonna be fun song you wish you wrote bohemian rhapsody favorite song to play live bohemian rhapsody no (laughs) um favorite song to play live that's a tough one man I guess because of, of the reaction that it gets from the crowd, it would be "Don't Close Your Eyes." Okay. I, I, I couldn't. I can't imagine what it would be like being a Paul McCartney or a Rolling Stone. That every song you play is a massive hit. So when we play that song, you know, I, I get what these guys hear all night long. So yeah, don't close your eyes. Yeah, I understand that. Band or artist you want to see live in 2018? The Struts. All right. I got tickets to see them in October, so. Yeah, they're coming around here. I'm, I'm going to make it a point to go see them. I hear too many good things about them. I like their music. I, I like their look. I like their attitude. So I, I, want, I want to see it firsthand. Yeah, me too. Name two Desert Island albums you take with you. Mm, I hate that question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would have to be something from the Beatles and probably Queen. Okay, fair enough. Uh, last album you purchased or downloaded one or the other? I believe it was Hailstorm. All right. Best concert you ever attended? Rolling Stones. Which tour? Rolling Stones. I saw three tours. They were all just amazing. I saw them in 81 with, uh, with the Start Me Up tour. I saw them in uh, Bridges to Babylon. It was a, I saw them again it's in some arena. It wasn't really a, a, a tour following a record. They were just out because they felt like coming out and playing again. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine got me tickets. So the Stones in concert, Mick Jagger is just, he's a machine. Oh. And and if anybody ever said, where did you learn how to, how to move on stage? Well, go see Mick Jagger. Yeah, awesome. Favorite cereal, Lucky Charms, Fruity Pebbles, or Kicks? <laughs> Kicks is really bad. We used to make fun of it on stage all the time. We'd always have a box of it, and I'd, try, I'd start eating it and spit it all over the place and throw the box of cereal out on the crowd. Um, I don't really eat cereal. I don't, re- I don't really know. You don't have an opinion on that. No. Nah. Celebrity uh, you met that made the fanboy come out of you? Hmm. John Bellucci. Wow. That's met cool. him in New York City. Yeah, he was, he was doing some kind of a, 
of an MC thing at a club in New York City when we were up there recording an album and the A&R guy, it was when the Blues Brothers were, were going strong and they were on Atlantic and our A&R guy took us out to, to see him and got to spend about 10 or 15 minutes with them talking to him and that was, that was pretty cool. That's a trip. This is going to be a tough one for you. It's the last question. Zeppelin, the Stones, or the Beatles? Uh, Beatles. Okay. I wasn't yeah. sure which, which way you would go on that one. Well, because I started with the Beatles. The Beatles probably are the reason that I got interested in music in the first place because I'm old enough to remember the night they played on the Ed Sullivan Show and how it just changed the world. Yeah. Their music, their style, their look, Everything about them, it changed the world. No other band has ever done that and probably never will. I mean, I love Led Zeppelin. Uh, Obviously, I'm I'm a hard rocker. And the Stones, I love. I I go see them whenever I can. But the Beatles just were, they were something out of this world. And I still love their music. I still play their music. I teach their music. So they're just, yeah, for me, it'll always be the Beatles. Awesome. Steve Whiteman, I appreciate your time, my friend. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys on the Monsters of Rock cruise next February. February, yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it, Steve. All right. You're very welcome. We'll see you on the cruise. Absolutely. So that was a great interview. I got to tell you, I am so jealous of a guy that can just like pick up an instrument and start playing. Like my middle daughter does the same thing. It drives me absolutely nuts because to this day, I still can't pluck on an instrument. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, obviously, uh, I wanted to point out, you know, just I think he's a much better musician than people really know about Steve Whiteman. You know, they know him as the singer from Kicks, and he's a great showman a great performer, but uh, I think he's just a much better musician than people are aware. So I I wanted to kind of point that out in the interview. Yeah. And it it was also, I guess I just assumed these guys are doing okay money wise, but I forgot he didn't really write a lot of that stuff. So he obviously didn't have much publishing and to hear that he didn't make any money in kicks, man, that just makes me feel bad. I think life is good for those guys now. I think they're making some money now, not loads of money, you know, just enough to survive because he's still working and and uh, teaching at this music school when they're not on the road, but they're just out doing these weekend dates and fly dates and stuff like that instead of the old school full-blown tours and stuff. And I think that they're happy with that. But, you know, he said in there a couple times, I think he was really handcuffed by Donnie early on in the band because Donnie did all the writing and just didn't, they didn't want to hear from anybody else in the band, uh, which is unfortunate because, you know, I always think a band is much better when everybody is able to contribute. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not sure I believe that. I, I don't know if everybody needs to contribute, but I, have a problem with the singer not contributing though because you got to be able to sell the lyrics yeah i'm one of those people that thinks okay five people if one person comes to the table with an idea 
then that's one person. But if you got five people that come to the table with five ideas and you can melt that into something beautiful, I think that's great. Just because five people come to the table with five ideas doesn't mean that you need to take all five ideas, but at least five people are contributing. That's what I mean when I think it's always a good idea if everybody in the band is contributing. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're going to have to take everybody's input, but at least if everybody's coming to the table with ideas, pick and choose the best of it. You know what I mean? Uh, I agree with that. I agree with that. I'm also a believer that if you did everything at home by yourself and you wrote the whole thing and you're presenting it to the band and what you presented, pretty much 90% lands on the record, it's your song and nobody else should be involved. But if you're writing it in the studio with kind of everybody there, then everybody should have publishing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm not even sure bands sometimes work that way. Yeah, they don't. I mean, you know, many of the bands have ended over publishing fights. So that's, yeah. that's uh, one of the sore, sore points with uh, bands. I mean, I think early on, that's exactly why Van Halen uh, decided from the get-go to split it four ways because they didn't want all the hassles and all the fights now. You know, I've heard heard nightmare and horror stories down the road as to how they changed a lot of that, but uh early on that's what it was, I think. Yeah. So but uh yeah, it was a good uh quick interview. I love that band. I think they're great live. I'm looking forward to seeing them on the Monsters of Rock cruise when we go and you know, hopefully we get Blow My Fuse in its entirety. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. It sounded like he was into it. Yeah, I think it's probably at least something they would do for one of the two shows that they play on the cruise, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense. So you ready to get into this uh, this top five kicks? I am, and I'm going to go first. Oh. And, uh, you know, because these lyrics about all the boys in regular rotation, and I'm number three, and he can't figure out if she's 22 or 35, which is a little odd. Uh, but check this out. Song called Rolling in Honey.
Yep. I like that song. That's off of uh, the Hot Wire record, right? No, no. That's off uh, Rock Your Face Off. That's a new one. Oh, that's right. I did yeah. get that wrong because I well, went to- new one, it's four years old, but it's new. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went to look that up and, and I was thinking originally it was on the Hot Wire CD, but then uh, I had to go and replay it off of the Rock Your Face Off. So yeah, that that is a good tune though. I enjoy it. And that record is good as well. I thought that was a great uh, return record for him. That's awesome. I wish they would have, that beginning part where he says, my, my baby keeps me up all night. I wish they would have done it longer and completely acapella. Now it would have sounded like 80s, right? And I get it. But it's like, God, it needed that. Like they kind of half asked that in my head. It still sounds good, but I think it would have been killer if they would have done it kind of like acapella. Right. All right, well, it's my turn, and for me, I'm going to start where it all started for me. Take a listen to this.
So isn't this where the sparkles came out of the bottom of his mic on the video, right? You know, I wanted to ask him about that because if memory serves me correctly, he actually did that live as well. Oh, wow. And he never burned himself or whatever? No. And and I, I almost swear I may be wrong. I may be remembering wrong, but I wanted to ask him about that. And I kind of forgot to ask him about it. But I want to say that they did that live. So my first experience with kicks was in a small town that I grew up in. Kicks was coming to play, and I was working with a band. I was helping a band out. I was running lights, doing something. I, I was just helping them out, and I was good friends with a lot of the guys in the band. And they won this battle of the bands, and part of the winning prize was that they got to open up for Kicks when they came to town. And Kicks was on the Midnight Dynamite tour early on. Like this was probably either right before or right after the album got released. So not a ton of people down south really knew who Kicks was. You know, they had had some success on the East Coast, but not the kind of success that they had up north on the East Coast where they're from, you know? Yeah, they had even less on the West Coast, right? So there's that whole that East Coast bands that maybe didn't hit the charts big time or didn't have a triple platinum album. Yep. Just never got out to the West Coast. Like I saw them live a couple of times, but I can imagine that uh, they probably couldn't even sell a club out here. Yeah. And so uh, the band I was friends with and was helping out working with, they opened up for Kicks. The drummer was from Maryland. And so the drummer knew all about Kicks, knew who they were. Uh, knew the whole story with kicks. And so he's like, uh, you got to check these guys out. These guys are awesome, man. I can't wait to see these guys. And he turned us on to the album Midnight Dynamite. And I was sold. I was like, man, this is a great album. How did this get by me? So I was sold on the album. I saw the Cold Shower video on MTV. And I want to say that Cold Shower was actually the first song I ever heard by kicks i saw the video and i thought it was really unique really cool i'll talk a little bit more about that later on but the band opened up for him after the show kicks basically came back to the band house we had a big band house where the band lived and rehearsed kicks came back to the band house and hung out with us I mean, it was, cool. it was that kind of thing. You know, everybody was traveling in vans and trailers. So it was no, they weren't really necessarily rock stars yet. You know what I mean? Right, right. They were just another club band that happened to have a record deal, but nobody really necessarily knew who they were down south. So they came back to the band house, hung out, drank beer. I think Steve Whiteman rode with me to 7-Eleven, we picked up a six-pack. I got a picture of he and I, and he's got a Heineken in his shirt pocket. So, so <laughs> that kind of that kind of prompted me to remember uh, some of what transpired that night at the band house. We hung around, played music, drank beer, laughed, and cut up. You know, and uh, just a just a great time. And I'll remember that night to this day. So. Very cool memory for me. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, you know, I don't have those kind of memories. <laughs> but uh, love the band, though. I I'm going to tell you when I came in, but it, it, it has to do with one of the songs. So I'm going to tell you that later. All right. So you're up next. What do you got for us? 
All right. So from their, I would say their lost album called Show Business in 1995, check out this song. I feel like it's got an ACDC driving riff, and he does his best Bond Scott, Baby Time Bomb. This, uh, this album doesn't get a whole lot of love, and I guess rightly so. It's not a great record, but I, it's got a lot of stuff that I like on it. So certainly this song is one of the ones that I really like. 
So I got nothing bad to say about it from that standpoint. It just, it just doesn't stand up to the rest of the stuff in the catalog for me, but still some uh, great tunes on it. I liked, uh, I liked 911 on that record as well. Yeah, and I was surprised in the interview he mentioned Queen, he mentioned Mick Jagger, but they got a lot of like ACDC in them. So that must be Purnell that has the ACDC in them. I mean, maybe. I mean, I think probably the rasp in, in Steve's voice uh, lends its hand to that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But uh, hey, it's my turn. And so like you, I am going to visit the latest CD, which at this point is four years old, but we're going to visit uh, Rock Your Face Off. And I chose this song there were several songs on this that i really liked i really liked the first song they released which is love you with your top down i thought that was a, i thought that was a great song good rock and roll song but i'm gonna choose the second track on the record and this is a song called you're gone <laughs>
So I like the pace. I like the verse. I like the riff. I like the pre-chorus. I cannot connect with that chorus. For some reason, it sounds weird to my ear. I want to like it. It just feels weird. Huh. I like the groove. I don't get what you can't connect with, but you never know. I mean, it is what it is. But, yeah, I like the groove of it. I like the feel to it. And uh, I I like the chorus. I found myself singing that chorus at times. So uh, definitely a cool tune on my uh, radar. Yeah, it's a good song overall. It's just the chorus always sounded weird to me. I don't know why. All right, so my turn. This damn song, I've been humming it for the last two full days. I have listened to so much other music the last two days to try to get this song out of my head. But for some reason, again today at lunch, I was humming it as I was grabbing my pizza for some goddamn reason. (laughs) Check this song out. Red Hot, Black and Blue. Yeah, so there's nothing I can say about this tune. This is a great song. Love this song. It's just catchy as hell. Uh, that's exactly what it is, right? And it, what amazes me, 
it was not the single. It's got the pop sensibility. It's got that slow groove. It's got the hummable thing. But they didn't pick it as one of the singles, and I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know. Just, I mean, it's a great song. I love that song. So uh, I can't comment on it any more than what you've already said, which is whenever this song comes on, I don't fast forward it and I just listen to it and I end up singing and humming the chorus uh, no matter what, which is kind of what You're Gone did for me. So, you know, there you go. And I thought, and, you know, we talked about a little bit uh, my feeling on the first two albums. They were... To me, it sounded like the first two albums, they were still trying to kind of finding their sound. They got some stuff that's almost punk. Some of it's like raw rock. Some of it's synthesized. And then what I noticed when I was doing the research is this Bob Halligan Jr. guy jumps in helping write for Midnight Dynamite. And all of a sudden, they kind of find what I equate to be the kick sound. So I don't know what Halligan did for them that was different. Obviously, you know, you got another person in the room. Maybe uh, he brings his own feel to it. But uh, Midnight Dynamite sounds significantly different to me than the first two albums combined. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, without a doubt, their sound changed after, uh, well, before Midnight Dynamite. When Midnight Dynamite came out, that sound of that record versus... Uh, the other two, you know, is night and day. Now, uh, is this when, this isn't when Bo Hill entered the picture, is it? Who produced Midnight Dynamite? Uh, Bo Hill. Okay. I think that they credit him with a lot of the change. I think I've heard interviews with them before where they credit Bo Hill with a lot of the change of the band's sound. So yeah, he may have had a lot to do with that as well. Makes sense. Yeah, uh, but great song. So I'm going to move on to Hotwired. Now, I got to tell you, Hotwired is not my favorite Kicks record. Just, I mean, I like it. I like uh, several songs on it, but just it's not, I don't know. There was just something about this record that didn't quite do it for me like the previous two, like Midnight Dynamite and Blow My Fuse. They had a particular sound. I loved them. I loved them front to back. Then it was time for Hotwired. And Hotwired just didn't hit home like those first two records did for me. And when I say first two, I mean first two to me. Obviously, I know they had a couple records out before that. But there's still some great music on it. And this is one of them uh, that I pulled out. Uh, This is Rock and Roll Overdose.
Yeah, I like the harmonica start kind of feel, gives that Aerosmith feel. And then I'm a big voice box fan. I love it when bands use it well, and they used it well in that song. It's pretty cool. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, what you got? All right, so I'm going to rebut everything you just said <laughs> because Hotwire is my favorite kicks album. Yeah, no, it's not. Top to bottom. So I like Midnight Dynamite. I like Blow My Fuse a little bit more. I absolutely love Hotwire. And when we talked about, we initially talked about doing a top three, all of my songs were from Hotwire. Then we th- we're going to do top five. I'm like, all my songs can't be from Hotwire. Like, that's not going to work. And actually, my favorite song isn't on Hotwire. So luckily, I, I had something different. But there's something about, and I know it's 1991, and I know they get a little more polished. But for some reason, everything got a little catchier to me. And uh, the song I picked is, again, one of those things that uh, while I'm, you know, working in the yard or doing laundry or doing dishes or whatever, for whatever reason, I'll just start singing the chorus to Loveaholic. Check this out.
Sonny? Are you a loveaholic? Uh, I'm a loveaholic, alcoholic, workaholic. I'm a holic, period. You're not an alcoholic. <laughs> oh, yeah, I am. I just don't drink anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You're a controlled alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, if I got back, ooh, better watch out. You're a recovering alcoholic? Yep. <laughs> good Lord. That's a good song, though. I mean, it's catchy. It's good, man. I, I like it. Like I said, they're really, I don't know if there's any kick songs I just don't like. There are obviously different degrees of kick songs. Some I like better than others, but I don't know that there's a kick song that I just don't like. Uh, so I like Loveaholic. It's all good. So that brings me to what I said earlier, which is I think this is actually the first song that I heard by Kicks. And I saw the video and I thought it was unique because to me, this song doesn't sound like any other hard rock band at the time. This song sounds so different than anything that was coming out at the time. And it's different in terms of the rest of the stuff on the album, but I loved this tune. I loved the groove. I loved the kind of funk feel to it. I just, I loved Cold Shower, even from these kind of weird, like vocal things going on in the beginning production wise. I love this tune. So enjoy, won't you, with me, a little bit of Cold Shower.
Ciao. I don't know if you realize it, but you just told everybody to enjoy a cold shower with you, which is a little weird. Hell no, it ain't. Depends on who's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I, you know, I've listened to it before and I listened to it again today and I'm just like, it just kind of feels like they're still kind of messing with their sound a little bit. And uh, I totally get the whole Earth, Wind & Fire, Commodores. I, like part of that song, you can see like five guys in the group's uh, like dancing together and doing moves and stuff and i'm like it's a little weird it's different that's for sure and it's not unlistenable by any means but it's not what i classify to be a classic kick sound yeah that's for sure oh yeah it's totally uh totally different than their sound i will give you that but it's that's part of what's kind of cool because you can see that there are different different layers to kicks you know what i mean yeah, it totally makes sense. It just as they got later on, they uh, they really just stuck to the straight rock. They didn't really go back to this other stuff. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. All right. So my last pick has to do with how I got into the band. So the first song I heard is a song I'm going to play for you. To me, it's the perfect, should have been a hit, and I cannot believe that after releasing 22 singles, this band only really had two charting hits. One of them was Don't Close Your Eyes, obviously. The other one was a Body Talk in 84, got to 104 on the charts. They had Girl Money chart on uh, the rock charts, but it didn't uh, chart on Billboard 100 or the Billboard 200. But I don't know why this thing wasn't a huge hit. It's got everything that you would want a song in 1988 to have. Uh, it's my favorite kick song. Check it out. Cold blood is all you need. And that's all you bleed. Good love is all you need. And cold blood is all you bleed. That's For God's sakes, can we please play the freaking song?
<laughs> I said the lyrics completely wrong to my favorite kick song. I uh, suck. Uh, I don't even know. I just needed to fucking go. <laughs> uh, it was great. Yeah. All right. Good job. A hundred percent agree. Love cold blood. Love the record. Love the song. I mean, it's a really catchy tune. I listen. This episode is exactly why we're here. You said it in the last uh, uh, conversation, which is. There are certain bands I don't understand why they never happened. Even at the time, like when this kind of stuff was happening, why it never happened. Because this band, I mean, to me, they got great albums. They got great songs. They got reasonable production. They were great live. Like they were so much better live than some of the bands who made it were. So I, and you know, I never saw like, um, them, I don't remember, and maybe they were, maybe they weren't, I really don't remember, but, um, I never really thought they had any red, really major tours. Like I didn't, I don't remember seeing them on the bill with, you know, ACDC at the Megadome or, um, uh, you know, whoever was happening, David Lee Roth at the Megadome or Rat at the Megadome. I don't remember them being on bills when a lot of other bands were. I mean, bands like Crocus and Great White and all these bands, Dockin, they were opening bands for a lot of bands back in the day, but I don't remember seeing kicks on any of those major bills. And what do you, what's your take? And I agree with you. I was thinking about it today. And I'm like, there's some there's some issues with the band. And, and it's not their fault, honestly, but they don't have a shredder. And this was the 80s, right? The, but the solos are great. They fit the songs. They're great solos, right? And those guys are doing anything Mark Kendall's doing, but Mark Kendall's not exactly a shredder either, right? Mm-mm. They don't have one band member that has this huge personality. Steve is a great front man. He does great live. Uh, I've heard, I've seen them live three or four times, but they don't have this. I'm going to interview when I'm the David Lee Roth. You got to listen to me because I'm interesting type guy. So they just kind of got lost. They didn't have a uniqueness that was marketed for them at all. Yeah. And then they didn't do any big tours. Like exactly. Like you said, I, I saw them in 89 with rat and I tried to see rat like 18 times, but they canceled 17 of them. So the, one of the few times I saw rat was uh, reach for the sky. They opened for rat. And then I saw him on back to back nights, open for great white uh, during uh, twice shy tour. And then the next time I saw him was monsters of rock cruise. Yeah. When I look back, I don't even, I don't know if they've been to Europe. Yeah. That was going to be another question was, I don't know how they do in Europe because they are really kind of the quintessential American band, you know? Yeah, so they're feel-good music, right? They're Americans' version of Eclipse. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd get that far. They don't sound anything like Eclipse. but No, but, but you get what I'm saying, right? It's just like they've got this one group of the country that they can sell out anywhere they are in that portion of the country, and then that's it. That's And basically, besides that, they play festivals. Uh, okay, I see what you're saying now. I got you. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, but that's that's exactly why this this episode's happening. And you know, it's like I, I would like to get the word out more. I mean, they've been around forever. I guess everybody who wants to hear of Kicks is going to hear of them. I'll be really surprised if somebody uh, puts in the comments, "Holy shit, how did I miss this band?" You know, but. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, <laughs> I'll be real surprised if if um, if we turn on somebody who's never heard of Kicks, but maybe there's a new listener out there, a younger listener that's just getting into our podcast and hasn't heard of Kicks. But hopefully what it'll do is make some folks that maybe heard of Kicks but just didn't dig that deep into anything, and maybe that'll turn them on to Kicks. But, uh, you know, definitely worth going out and getting these records because they're solid, solid records, in my opinion. And like I said, the whole reason for this conversation with Steve Whiteman was the Fuse 30 Reblown. They're out there doing the Blow My Fuse album in its entirety, and Blow My Fuse was an absolute fantastic record. Uh, love that record front to back. And that brings us to my last pick, uh, which is the title track, Give It a Listen.
Yeah, Steve mentioned that, uh, you know, the 30th anniversary thing and that they're, they remastered it and it sounds great and et cetera. I don't hear a production issue on the 1988 version. I thought that sound sounded great. Yeah, that record sounds fine, but I will tell you this, and I said it in the interview, they gave me a copy to listen to of this Fuse 30 Reblown, and normally my ears can't necessarily tell when something's been remastered. I mean, sometimes it's kind of obvious, especially in some of the older stuff, but as soon as this played, I heard instantaneously a difference. The new remastered copy on steroids with all the demos and stuff of some of these songs is super, super bright and crisp. It sounds really good. So you will be able to tell in the reblown issue the difference in this and the original Blow My Fuse, I assure you. Yeah, that's cool. Great band, man. I'm glad we got to pick some songs. Yeah, me too. I liked playing a little bit of Kicks. I've loved this band since I said Midnight Dynamite, so it was a good time. The conversation with Steve was short, but I enjoyed it, and looking forward to seeing those guys on the Monsters of Rock cruise. Yeah, me too. Uh, that's definitely one of the bands that uh, impressed me in 2015, so I'm, I'm interested. Awesome. So before we get out of here, is there anything that you want to say to the listeners? No, I just appreciate uh, all of the support. Uh, we've gotten a ton of feedback. Appreciate the feedback. I appreciate the ratings that we're getting on Podchase on the episodes, and I encourage you to do some more uh, if you're out there and you're willing to do so. And if you got an idea for an episode, uh, send us the idea. We are all ears. That's it. We do enjoy those Podchaser reviews. We do enjoy the iTunes reviews, and we do enjoy with you guys interacting with us on our Facebook page. So please, please continue to do so. We will communicate with you if you will communicate with us. So keep it coming. And make sure you go and pick up some of this great music you are hearing. Go to growinguprock.com and go down and use our Amazon link because it helps the podcast out. Gives us a few cents on the dollar for everything that you purchase off of Amazon and it costs you absolutely nothing more. Yeah, I mean, we, there's a lot of great music out there, and uh, Amazon's the easiest way to support us, so appreciate you doing that. Yep. All right, until next week, I think that we're going to do a little shuffle, rattle, and roll, so I am going to pull out my phone and play a tune, and we will talk to you guys next week. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
make sure you subscribe to our podcast Growing Up Rock and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.